say boom night. So what Boom Night is, is our big celebration, the fact that we just ended a, we just ended the month of May. We want to celebrate with you guys. We'll actually have a snack afterwards. So super excited that you're here. If you don't know, I am not your student's pastor. My name is Lennon, and I am actually going to be giving the message today. Our uh, Pastor Taylor, Erica, and about half of our student's ministry team is out there in Kenya, Africa. I don't even know where Kenya, Africa is. I just know it's in Africa. But if you guys don't know, they're out there in a mission trip. They're about halfway done. They're going to be there for about 12 days. And they're about there like sixth, seventh day in. So super excited for them. Keep on praying uh, for them. Keep on interceding for them. The Lord is doing something really cool at the time. So um, before we get started, can I actually have you guys do me a huge favor? If you are in the back two rows, so I'm seeing... Four sections. If you're in the back two rows of those, can I actually ask you to move up and fill up the front four, five, six, whatever rows? So I'm hoping to not see people stand on those, sit on those back two rows, okay? I'm seeing y'all. Some of y'all aren't moving, but do me a huge favor and just make your way towards the front seats, okay? I'll give you guys a couple minutes to do that. Shouldn't take long. It ain't going to be a big deal. Um, so just go ahead and do that. Do me that favor, please. Dang. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. All right. So, again, my name is Lennon. I actually serve at the Santa Cruz campus. Is there some Santa Cruz peeps here? Santa Cruz peeps? Anybody? Yeah. We're a small campus, but we're from the south side. We're from the hood, so we get loud. We know what it's like to get hyped. So if you're ever in town, stop by the Santa Cruz campus. I'm super, I, I love that place. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. We'll get started into today's message. Um, just to give you guys, uh, while you pray, while I pray, and while you guys sort of to simmer into your thoughts, the message for today is called, Why Jesus? Okay? Literally the question, why Jesus? So, Father, we give you thanks, Lord. We just say that your will be done in this place, God. I pray that today what comes from you stays. What comes from man and what comes from even an enemy that is not willing to be part of this service will, de will, will leave, God. Today I pray that your spirit covers everything that happens. It covers from the message that I give to the people receiving it. God, we give you all the honor, all the glory, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Somebody say, why Jesus? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that, but I've actually asked myself that a few times. So, like, why is it Jesus? And the reason why I asked myself this is, think about this for a second. Who here has ever had a best friend before or currently has a best friend? Raise your hand if you guys have a best friend. Okay, a lot of you, right? If you don't have a best friend, um, I would say think about somebody that you have relationship with. Think about your brother. Think about your mom. Think about your grandma. And then think about how that relationship started. For a second, maybe you have that really awkward friend that walks up to you. And you're like, hey, you want to be best friends? And then that automatically seals the deal for you. But most of the time, somebody does that to you and you're like, that's kind of weird. Or like, don't tell me you're my best friend. Like, I can't walk up to Brian and be like, hey, Brian, we're best friends now even though I've never met you. He's like, what is this weirdo doing, right? But you can't walk up to somebody and tell them the relationship that you want with them. There's a process that happens. You have to get to know them. You have to even know if you like the same things. Um, you know, like if you're in high school and they're in middle school, maybe that's kind of weird. There's a lot of things that have to happen that have to be in play for you guys to have a relationship, right? You can't just tell somebody, hey, this is the relationship I want with you. Hey, I want to be your best friend. Guys, don't ever walk up to a girlfriend, a girl and be like, hey, want to be my girlfriend, and you've never talked to her in your life. That's weird, okay? There are, there's preparation that happens. There's things that you guys plan 
to do. You get to spend time with each other. You guys get to know each other. Um, the things you like, the things you dislike, the restaurants she likes, that you better be taking her out on some dates. So think about all those things when it comes to a relationship. And so that is why I'm asking you today, why Jesus? Why is the relationship with Jesus so important? Because a lot of times we consider Jesus as, as God, which he is, but we just, think he, we just think he's some God in heaven that doesn't know us. And like I said, a lot of times relationships happens through proximity and getting to know the people around you. And a lot of times we think, hey, well, Jesus doesn't know me or the other way around. I don't know Jesus. And a lot of times we don't know what knowing Jesus actually is. And so for us to answer this question, I actually have to take you guys through some history. Anybody here a history nerd? Let me see your hands. History nerd. Okay, okay. Some history, some World War II people, probably some like Civil War people, things like that. Okay. I'm not a history nerd. I am a literature nerd. I like books, which is weird. But anyways, I'm going to take you through some history, okay? So if you don't like history, I'm sorry. Just bear with me for the next 30, 40 minutes, okay? So we're going to start. Where should we start, guys? Where's the logical place to start? From the beginning, yes. That is a bar. Somebody write that down. We start from the beginning. So we start in Genesis, okay? Just to let you guys know, it's going to be a speed run of thousands, thousands of years. So bear with me. So starting in Genesis, right? Genesis is the book where we find that, the, that God created the universe. God created the, the plants that we eat, the animals that we eat, the world that we live in. And he also created man. He created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. And he created them to have this, for this plan to, to kind of oversee the world, to have a lordship over it, to spend, and, but more importantly, to spend time with them. God actually created man so they could spend every single moment with him. They would walk the garden with him. They would probably wake up, and they wouldn't have to pray to God. They'd be like, hey, what's up, God? Like, you're right there. Like, I can go to sleep, and God's there with me, like, getting to know them, having this relationship that we're talking about. And so, and so what happens? There's this thing called the fall of man. So Adam actually commits the first sin, which is, well, technically Eve did. But man, men, and woman disobey God. And so there creates this lack of trust, right? Can you spend time with somebody that you don't really trust? It's weird, right? There's like, if somebody hurts your feelings or betrays you, you're like, ah, uh, maybe we're not going to be friends anymore. Uh, I'm going to set up a barrier, right? We love setting up barriers and like boundaries, but yet a lot of people are bothered that God set up a boundary. And it's like, well, you would do it. If somebody betrayed you, you would say, hey, maybe we should create some separation here. So fast forward, Genesis happens, the fall of man, there's this giant, like a couple thousand years that happened. And then we get to this book called Exodus, okay? So if you're following along, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, uh, Exodus is second. And so in Exodus, um, the, the kingdom of, or not really kingdom, but the people of Israel, the people that God has called and said, these are my people that I want to save and I want to help and I want to guide. These are my chosen people. They're living, they're out uh, being slaves in Egypt. And so God does this really cool thing where he liberates them. He breaks them free from slavery. He does the really cool thing and he's like, hey, y'all are free. Y'all can do your thing. Y'all can follow me. Y'all don't have to worry about being slaves anymore. And guess what Israel does? They complain the whole time. Israel sits down and they're having to walk through the desert and God's still feeding them and God is giving them water and he's giving them shade. And like he's literally making water come out of rocks. And he's like doing these really cool things to keep them safe from the, in the desert. And Israel's all like, I really wish I was still in, in Egypt. I was so much better being a slave. I didn't have to struggle. Excuse me. I didn't have to struggle. I didn't have to worry. And I'm just like, 
dude, God just saved you, and yet you're not allowing yourself to be part of the blessing, and you're complaining about where you used to be instead of where you currently are. And so we see a Israel that is actually complaining to God for doing something good to them. And so another thing that happens is God tells them, hey, you're not supposed to worship any other people besides me. I'm the only God you're going to serve. So guess what Israel decides to do? Somebody take a guess. They worship other gods. They're doing the things they're not supposed to do. So they, they make this calf out of gold, and they light it on fire, and they call it a god. And you're like, why even is that a god? That's like you worshiping a piñata. No, you break a piñata. Like you don't worship a piñata. But, but Israel is, has God right in front of them walking with them, giving them cover, giving them food, and yet they're worshiping things that don't even matter, right? And so another thing that happens is, so, so Genesis happens, Exodus happens, and then we get to this really cool book called Leviticus. And by cool, I mean not that cool. So the reason Leviticus is not that cool is because it lists out 600 laws that Israel had to follow. Sometimes, like, imagine that, 600 laws. Like, sometimes... Asking you guys or asking people to be quiet, can't even follow that. Can't even follow, like, hey, don't use your phone right now. Like, y'all can't, we can't even follow one law, but yet Israel is supposed to follow 600. And so the reason why they had to follow 600 laws is because they were not getting it, right? Think about when you're in trouble. When you get in trouble at home, your parents aren't like, oh, okay, we're going to get away with all the rules. You can do whatever you want. No, they add more rules. Okay, well, now your bedtime's 8 o'clock. Or now you can't go out on Saturday. Or now you can't even hang out with that person you wanted to. They add rules because there is a certain thing that is expected from you, right? It's not that God was like, I don't want to hang out with you guys anymore. I don't want to be part of your life. It's like God was literally telling them, this is for your benefit, and you guys still don't get it. I think, like, honestly, I think if this system would have continued, probably been in the thousands, and if not hundreds of thousands of laws, if God had to keep on adding laws. But the reason these laws were happening is because Israel, Israel had to be different than the rest of the world. Israel had to look different, had to be different, had to worship different, had to pray different, had to do all these different things to show the world that God is the one true God. Why? Because Israel was the chosen people. At the time, the world wasn't yet. You, you're talking about many other parts of the world. They weren't chosen people. Israel was. And so we get to this thing called the tabernacle, this temple that was built for God because God is actually with them as they're crossing the desert, as they take a rest, as they're going through different parts of the world. And so this tabernacle is built. Think about Zion City. It's a church, right? But in a church, there's several buildings. We have our students building. We have building 1,000. We have building 7,000. We have kids. Like all these different areas, but it's the same church. So if you want to consider that the tabernacle, in this big old tabernacle, this big old temple, was this place called the Holy of Holies. Somebody say Holy of Holies. It wasn't because it had a whole bunch of holes in it. It wasn't because it looked like Swiss cheese. It was because this was the most perfect, beautiful, holy place in the world. And the reason it was that is because God was in there. God's presence would meet people in this Holy of Holies. This is where God, God wasn't all over the world like he is today. And we're going to get to how he, why he's like that today. But in this point in time, he was with Israel in this room called the Holy of Holies. And so in this Holy of Holies, there was this big old veil, big old curtain. It's, people say that it was over two feet thick. Imagine that. Imagine, like, some of y'all struggle to, like, rip, like, 
you know, your shirts, when you try to make them all pretty, like some of you girls, I see you guys rip them up and make little, like, designs on them. We struggle to do that. Imagine two feet of cloth. That's crazy to me. That is huge. It wasn't easy to walk through. And so the most important part was the fact that not anybody could enter this place. Out of everything I just told you guys, this is what you need to remember the most. Not anybody could walk in. There was certain things that had to happen for you to step in. It's like, it's like we had a student service, but the doors were locked. And I was like, hey, guys, God's in there. Well, you're like, well, let me in, dude. I'm trying to see him. I'm trying to spend some time with him. I'm trying to worship him. But we're like, oh, no, it's locked. You guys have to do it from out there. Consider that this place. And so we're going to get into our first um, verse for today. We have a few verses, so bear with me. There's a lot of content that I'm really excited to share with you guys. So in Leviticus, again, this is the third book in the Bible. So if you want to go there, Leviticus is pretty easy to get to. Can't tell you the page number. They're all different. But if you want to write this down and look through it on your phone, Leviticus 16 says this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. I just told y'all, not anybody could walk in. Even turning on the wrong candle for God was enough for people to, to die. It says it on the word. And it wasn't because God was this evil God that wanted to hurt people. It was because they were not ready. They were not properly preparing themselves to seek God at that time. And we'll continue on. And verse 2 says, The Lord said to Moses, Warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. Again, God was in this special room that not just anybody could walk into. So now God is telling, so now God is telling, thank you, now God is telling um, Moses, hey, there's this person, Aaron, that is actually meant to be part of this room, but you got to tell him he can't just walk in however he wants. Aaron is supposed to be in there. He's supposed to go. He's supposed to hang out in this room. He's supposed to spend time with me. But what does God say? If we go back one verse before that, he says, warn your brother Aaron not to enter whenever he chooses. It wasn't on their time, yo. It wasn't on their time. It was on God's time. And so we continue on to verse uh, 3. It says, when Aaron enters the sanctuary, and this is God speaking. I want you guys to pay so much attention to what happens here. Th this is God speaking. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Now for a second, you're like, that's weird. Why does Aaron have to do all these things just to walk into God? And I don't have this written as my messages, but I want you guys to pay very close attention to this. The first part is he needs to bring a sin offering and a burnt offering. The second part is he needed to dress the part. So there was two things that had to happen for you to encounter God at this time. You needed a sacrifice 
and you needed preparation. You couldn't just walk up however you wanted. There was things in place you had to do. There was no, see, think about this. How hard would it be to see God like that? You couldn't spend time to God and walk up to an altar and say, Jesus, I am here to worship you, and I'm struggling with this this week, and Jesus, my week has been so hard. You couldn't do that back then. And I haven't even told you the, the, the hardest part. The hardest part is Aaron could only walk in there once a year. Sometimes it's hard for us to, like, you're like, dude, I can't wait for next Wednesday, and it's barely Thursday. Imagine Israel having to wait a whole year for this. The sacrifice had to be prepared only once a year. And it wasn't even by you, Isaac. You couldn't even walk in. It had to be some third-person guy that had to walk in there and be like, yeah, dude, I, I, um, I saw Timmy over there, you know, getting in trouble, so here's a sacrifice. Please forgive him. It wasn't even the person that was sinning. It was a third-party representative. It was like somebody putting words into your mouth. That's why it was so hard. But then again, remember this. Man had chosen this. Man had looked at God and said, I want to worship other things. I want, to, I want to live life the way I want to, not the way you're telling me. And can I tell you all something? I'm so glad it didn't stay that way. I'm so glad it didn't stay that way. The first point of my message is our relationship with God requires more than just once in a while. If you notice how hard it was for Aaron to enter into this place, he had to dress up a certain way. He had to bring a certain offering. And yet, we ask ourselves why it's so hard for us to encounter God when our relationship is only once a year. Sometimes our relationship with God is once a year and, and then we ask why it's so afraid to approach him and ask him for help and believe in him and pray to him. Sometimes I think I have to dress a certain way and walk up to God completely clean. Why? Because I don't know what a, a, a long and, and true relationship with him is. I only know a once a year relationship. And maybe some of us is you guys right now. We're too scared to walk up to God because we don't spend time enough with him. So we think we have to look a certain way and be a certain way before we walk in. But I'm telling you, I'm just so glad it didn't stay that way. Um, I don't have passages for this next part, but if we want to call this next section something, call it fast forward to Jesus. So this whole process happens and people are still not getting it. People are still out there doing the things God is asking not to do, worshiping things they're not supposed to, um, participating in things they're not supposed to. And so we fast forward to Jesus, and if you don't know, Jesus is our God created man to live a life that we were supposed to and to die a death that we should, we should have died. Jesus was God saying, I love the world enough to go down and be a certain way and live a certain way and prepare myself a certain way so that when I die, my brothers and sisters, you guys, myself included, don't have to die the way I did. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus is so much better than this system. Jesus is so much better. And so, but a lot of times what happens, a lot of times we get into this, we, we kind of pause there. We pause that Jesus died for me so that when I die, I go to heaven. 
we miss, we get the saving part, but we miss the relationship part. And truthfully, that's where I was for about 10 years of my life, if I'm being honest. I came to church when I was probably 11, 12 years old. Many of you guys are that age probably right now. And I knew about Jesus. I heard about Jesus. I did the prayer. I did the salvation. But not once for 10 years did I actually spend time with him. Not once in, my, in 10 years did I say, Jesus, you actually are the, the Lord of my life. So what did I decide to do? I decided to focus on friendships that hurt me, habits and relationships that hurt me. If I'm being honest, I was too scared, and I think this is some of you right now, I was too scared to follow Jesus because the relationships that I had really valued had betrayed me in my entire life. My friendships had betrayed me. Relate, like romantic relationships that I was part of had betrayed me. And I was like, well, if everybody else betrays me, then why wouldn't Jesus betray me? Why wouldn't Jesus treat me like all these other people that I gave my trust to? A lot, there was so much bitterness in my heart. And truthfully, I feel like a lot of us in that age feel that. A lot of us in my age think Jesus is just like the the, the boyfriend that broke up with me and left me for my best friend or the girlfriend that did the same exact thing or, or maybe the, the father that left or maybe the broken home that got divorced or, or maybe the friend and people that I trusted that turned their back and spoke against me. We think Jesus is this person. We think Jesus, is the, we think Jesus has the same relationship with us that we have with other people, but Jesus is so much bigger. Jesus is so much greater because one thing that the Bible tells me is that Jesus didn't just come to save me for after my death. He came to save me for this current life. He came to show me beautiful things in this current life. And, and there is so much power in knowing that. Because like I said, a lot of times we get stuck in, well, Jesus died for me, so I'm going to say the prayer and I'm going to go to heaven. And we, we disregard the 60, 70, 80 extra years of life that we get to live and we don't have to suffer, y'all. Because truthfully, I've known Jesus. I've known, I was without Jesus more than I've known Jesus. And in the lesser time, I've been more happy than in the, than in the majority of the time I didn't know him. And so now we're going to turn to Hebrews if you guys don't know, Hebrews is in the New Testament. Hebrews is a book that actually, um, and you don't have to put it up yet. I'm just going to give a little bit of context. Hebrews is a book that is written to highlight many things. But the, the thing that we're going to highlight is this thing called the, the high priest. Somebody say high priest. So the high priest was not the tallest priest, okay. The, the high priest wasn't the basketball player of Israel. The high priest was somebody that had the highest honor of being a priest in Israel at the time. And so when, when we reference the high priest in these next verses, I want to re remind you about Aaron. Remember Aaron we just spoke about a couple minutes ago? Aaron was a guy that was going to walk into the presence of where God was. Aaron was the one that was carrying these, these uh, sacrifices. So Aaron at the time was the high priest of Israel. And so when we compare high priest and, and high priest pops up on the screen, I want you guys to compare what Aaron had to do and what Jesus did. And because they have the same title, it's like Mr. President. You can compare Mr. President number 40 with Mr. President number one. Why? Because they have the same title. 
yet they did different things. They accomplished different things, but the title was the same. Their roles, their responsibilities were similar. It's just one did something different than the other. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 17. Remember, we're talking about Jesus here, okay? Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that, he, that would take away the sins of the people, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. Do you guys remember that for you to walk into the presence of God back then, you had to offer a sacrifice? Well, guess who was our sacrifice? Guess why we're able to enter the presence? Because he was the sacrifice. And can I remind you that, do you guys remember how often Israel had to, like, was able to meet with God? How often? Once a year, right? Jesus doesn't have to die every year. Jesus died once and that was enough. But what I want to highlight is the fact that he didn't just die a certain way. He lived a certain way. He acted a certain way. As perfect as he was, verse 18 says, he himself went through suffering and testing. Can I look at you in the face and everybody's eyes over here really quick. Everybody's eyes. I'm going to scan every single one of you. I'm going to do my best to at least. When you are tested and when you are suffering, Jesus has already felt that. Jesus has felt the temptation. Jesus has felt the struggle. We love talking about the fact that God is perfect and he is perfect. But hey, guess what? That doesn't mean that he can relate to you. That doesn't mean that he's some wizard in heaven operating everything like a puppet master. He's a God that was humble enough to say, you know what? I think this person's going to struggle with this. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to show them that it's possible to overcome it. I think this is going to be a big issue in today in their time of the world. So guess what? I'm going to show them how to overcome it. Second point of my message is a relationship with Jesus means we are understood. I said this again. He is not some, some sky wizard that is far away that you hear about. He's a God that desires relationship with you, intimate relationship with you, everyday relationship with you. And in that relationship, he understands you. He looks at you and tells you, that betrayal, I felt it. My best friend put me on a cross. Like your best friend has lied to you and, and done things behind your back. Jesus can look at you and say, I know how being betrayed feels like. Jesus can look at you and say, I know what being tempted with that thing feels like. I know what being tempted with addiction feels like. I was tempted too. The enemy literally stood at his side and said, if you are the son of God, do this. If you really call yourself this, then do that. And Jesus said no. To show you that you can overcome that temptation. You can overcome that addiction. You can overcome that habit. You can overcome that frustration. He showed it to you first. But again, a lot of times we miss this. A lot of times we, we just look at Jesus as the guy that died on the cross. And as important as that is, as the, that is the center of everything we believe in, his death and resurrection. But we forget that he lived 33 years in this world. 
He was a teenager, y'all. He was 12 to th through 22 years old at some point, and maybe he didn't struggle with the technology aspect that you guys struggle with, but he struggled with things just like it. At the root of every sin or every temptation is a sin, and that sin was the same sin that Adam fell into. I don't care if you struggle with difficulty in, in gossip. I don't care if you struggle with pornography. I don't care if you struggle with a million different things. The root of that is the same sin that Adam fell into. So you can't tell me God does not understand you. He understands sin. He never fell into sin. He never, he was perfect enough to show you that he could overcome the sin. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't know what being tempted with that sin is. And so we continue on to Hebrews 4, a little bit down the line in the, in the uh, book. It says, this high priest of ours, being Jesus, understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, and he still didn't sin. Dang, it's like I studied, y'all. It's like, it's like I knew where I was going with this. I'm excited. And so he says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Don't come nervously. Don't come with your head covered. Be like, hey, God, I did this thing again. Come boldly. Come, come with your chest out. Come boldly to the grace of God because there is where you will receive his mercy and he will find grace to help us when we need it most. I don't know if this is you, but this was me for a long time. I was scared of God before I knew him. I knew that walking up to God, I thought walking up to God, he was going to treat me a certain way. He was going to disrespect me. He was going to put me down. He was going to hurt me. I thought that's what God was going to do. And if you don't know God enough, you might think the same thing. If you have never seen this enough, you might think God is only just going to turn his back on me like everybody else in the world has. He's going to turn his back on me and, and push me to the side like all the people I've trusted. But if you were to read that if you come boldly through the, to the throne of God, you receive mercy when you need it most, what would ever stop you from walking up? What would ever stop you from raising your hands? What would ever stop you from worshiping and singing and open up your voice and, and listening during service? What would ever stop you? I don't think anything could. At least nothing should. And for so long, I battled that because I didn't know God enough. I knew God was this, this God that died for me, but I was just going to see him in heaven and he was going to tell me, at, at least I thought he was just going to tell me all the things I did wrong. When God is like, I just, I just want to wipe you clean. Every time you make a mistake, every time you walk up to me and, and boldly walk up, and say, God, I messed up. I just want to erase that. Because you need it. This world does not show you enough love. This world will never show you enough grace. You can think of your best friend. If they're human, which they are, they're going to fail you. The person that you consider the most perfect, amazing person, the one that can find everything in, guess what? That one time that you really need something and it's late at night, they're going to be asleep. They're gonna, they, they, their phone might be off. And yet, you want to put your trust in them over God. And you're like, his phone is on 24-7. He, he is literally a prayer away. 
and we decide not to use it. Again, a lot of times our personal struggles, our personal fears get in the way of our relationship with God. Can I actually get, I'm going to move this out of the way really quick. Can I get six volunteers really quick? Just six quick volunteers. Quick, quick, quick. You guys don't have to just come up. Just come up. I need six of you guys. It doesn't matter who. You're not going to do anything crazy. I'm not going to push you off the stage. Perfect, perfect. One, two, three, four, five, six. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, cool. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to have you stand here, okay? And I'm going to have you, Damon, stand right here, okay? And you guys don't do anything yet. So this is the way. Look towards each other. You guys look at each other. You guys have clear view of each other, right? You... If you wanted to, you could say something to her. You could have a conversation. You guys are pretty far apart, but that's okay. Let's consider you any single person in this, in this student room, okay? You're every single student at any point. Don't go crazy on me now. You're supposed to be God, okay? You're not God. We're not blaspheming here, okay? You're just, this is an illustration, okay? And so, and so what happens is they have a clear path to each other. If he wanted to, he could walk over and have a conversation with you. He could be like, oh, man, you know what? I had a really hard day today. God, I really needed you. Um, my best friend just really hurt my feelings right now. I really need somebody to lean on. And you could have that. The Bible says we can, right? If we come boldly, we can do this. But then what happens is sometimes a little bit of life gets in the way. And guess what? Look at him real quick. And now, and now you're struggling with past pains. You're struggling with the fact that a lot of times, and I'm not saying you are, okay? I'm not saying he is. But a lot of times we're struggling with the fact that family members, friends have hurt us, and we've set up this wall, this barrier, okay? And so now you are the future. And now you're really anxious about the future. And, and maybe you can still see God if you peek your head, like, right? Like, okay, okay, he's still there, okay? Maybe it's not as easy to walk through him. Maybe you have to push these people out of the way. I won't push. Push, don't worry. No, don't push, don't push. All right, and now you, you're going to walk up in here, and maybe you're doubt. And maybe you really want to believe in God, but there's some things in your life that make you rethink. Whoa, does God really love me this much? Is he always going to be there for me? And then you, my friend, your betrayal. Somebody has really hurt you. Somebody has said, you can, you can trust me, and then you couldn't. And so what now... What used to be a clear path, what used to be clear relationship and friendship and I can walk up to you at any point is now blocked by life. And this is where we find ourselves a lot. Because if you try to have a conversation, do your, do your best to have a conversation with her. Just like ask her her name and you guys do your best to block it. Whether it's making noise, whether it's moving around, it's hard to have, a, it's uncomfortable to have a conversation if somebody's in the way. You guys would do the same exact thing. And yet, we decide to live life like that. We decide to put barriers in between what God has said we can do, walk up boldly, and yet have life hurt us enough to stop us from doing that. Can we get it up for them, y'all? Thank you. Thank you. You guys can take your seats. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Keys, you can make your way up, please. And so Hebrews 5 is, is um, we're, gonna, we're wrapping up here shortly, but Hebrews chapter 5 says this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. Jesus ugly cried, yo. Think of the ugliest, naughtiest cry that you've ever had in your life. 
oh my gosh, I can't believe this person did that. And, uh, and like all this gasping and sobbing, Jesus did that. But he did it to God. He didn't do it just for the sake of doing it. He did it in prayer. The word says that God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence or respect for God. And even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Some of you guys know that you're God's sons and God's daughters, but yet you don't allow yourself to be obedient in suffering. You decide to turn your back on God in suffering. When he says, if you would just cry to me, even if you didn't say anything, even if all you could yell was, God, please, and you're tearing up and, and have nothing to do and nothing to say, God says, I would much rather you have that than turn your back on me. I'd much rather you follow Jesus' example like he did because he cried and he begged and he pleaded. And, and maybe he, he prayed things that were scary, but he did them. And if we could just follow Jesus' example, if we could follow the example that he said of having a relationship with God every time that we suffered, then maybe our suffering would be a little different. Maybe our, our pain would feel a little different. It says, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. Remember, high priest. This person that had a relationship with God once a year. This person that was the representative of an entire population. This person that you had to go through to get to God. I had to walk up to Isaac and be like, hey, Isaac, if you're the high priest, dude, I'm about to... I'm about to, um, you know, dump all the things that I've done. Can you take them to God, please? Like, tell him, since you're the guy. I'm just going to tell you. And, and last week, dude, I had this problem. And last week, I, I did this thing. I had to do that. But then Jesus comes. And the Bible says that God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And he's the last point of my message. Our relationship with Jesus means we are saved. It's not the things you do. It's not the how many times you've checked into students for the last year. It's not all the crazy events that you're a part of Zion City. It's the fact that if you have relationship with him, if you accept him, you are saved. See, God loves you in your happiness, but he also loves you in your pain. And I'll take it a step further, he loves you in your doubt. You doubting God and fearing the future and asking yourself, if this really gonna happen, God's not scared of it. God's gonna show you why you shouldn't be scared of it either. And with that last point, this is the final verse for today and you've probably all heard this. It's under the in and out cup. It's everybody verse. Everybody has it tatted on them. What verse do you guys think it is? Oh, it's already up there. Dang it. Okay. John 3.16. Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. I told you, God is not waiting for you to walk up to him so he can smack you about how wrong you've been. 
God is waiting for you to walk up to him, to embrace you with a hug, with grace, with love that you've never felt in this world and you never will. God is not waiting to judge you. When you come to him through Jesus Christ, when you accept Jesus, God is not waiting to walk up to, have, to read out the list of things you've done wrong. wrong. He's waiting for he can love you and show you how much it means that you've trusted him over the, the problems that you're facing. And so today I'm just going to ask you guys to close your eyes as we wrap up for today with nobody looking, with nobody moving, with, with nobody caring about the person next to them. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss the most important thing you could ever hope to encounter. With everybody's eyes closed, I'm just simply going to ask you to ask yourself a question. Do you have Jesus in your heart? Do you know who Jesus is? And, and I know we give a lot of opportunity to those that have, have known Jesus before and have walked away. But today, right now at least, I really just want to ask those that have never known Jesus. Maybe it's your first time because a friend invited you saying that we were going to have food afterwards. Or maybe somebody dropped you off. You know, I love the fact that David is so open and so um, honest to say, some of you guys might not even want to be here. But I just know, but I know that God is, is greater and goes beyond that. So with everybody's eyes closed, I'm going to ask you, if you don't know who Jesus is, if this is your first time wanting to believe in Jesus, wanting to accept his sacrifice and how he lived, can I just ask you to raise your hand boldly with nobody looking around? Nobody right now is looking around. This is a relationship between you and God saying, I am here. You're not doing this for me. You're not doing this for a preacher. You're not doing this for the person next to you. You're doing this between you and God. So if that's you, I just want to ask you to be bold enough to raise your hand high. This is not shameful. I see your hand. I see anybody's hand that is here tonight. This is not shameful. This is the greatest thing you could ever do. So with everybody's eyes still closed, you can put your hands down. Thank you so much. We're actually going to pray together, everybody. Because again, this is not shameful. We are not singling anybody out. And everybody say, dear Jesus, thank you that you died for me. That you came into this world. You lived the perfect life. And you died the death that I should have died. Today... I welcome you into my heart. I say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Wash me. I am a sinner, but I look to you to make me clean. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Can we give it up, y'all? Come on. Come on. <laughs> altar team, altar team, you guys can make your way up. And I am going to speak from up here now. But I said I wasn't going to speak to those that have had relationship with Jesus in the past, but now I am. And I'm going to ask um, all of you guys to stand up, actually, okay? Everybody here, stand up. In that illustration I made earlier, there's times where we are the, the two people up there that are directly connected with God. 
It's just me and God, and maybe it's the first day that you accepted him, and everything was great, and you're like, God, I am running with you 100%. And then a little bit of life got in the way. A little bit of betrayal, a little bit of pain, a little bit of, of doubt in the dreams that you wanted. Maybe you had a couple no's in your life that you really wished were yeses. And so now there is a barrier between you and, and Jesus. Now there is distractions, there's fears. So if that's you, if you think you had a relationship with God and it has been separated by life, separated by pain, you don't have to yet. I'm going to count off. But I will encourage you, I will invite you, and I will, I will honestly close to beg for you to come up here and get prayer from one of our team members. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I was there. Just like Jesus can sympathize, I can sympathize. I know what it's like to wanting to pursue God but be so scared because of things not looking a certain way. When God was like, I could make it all better. When Jesus was like, I never left. So at the count of three, I'm just going to ask anybody that believes are in that situation to just come up and get prayer. Be open. Have somebody unite with you. There is nothing a friend can do more and better for you than pray for you. And because this is exciting and because this is good, everybody here, the moment that you start walking up here is going to clap. We're going to cheer. We're going to be excited because it means deepening relationship with Jesus. It means a better life because of Jesus. It means being saved because of Jesus. Again, when I count off, when I count to three, just come up here. This is not scary. This is not fearful. This is something that is going to cause you the greatest joy in your life. And we're all going to be there with you, okay? One, if this is something that you have to pray about, close your eyes in, the, in these couple seconds. Allow yourself to be pushed by the Spirit. Allow yourself to be stretched today. Two, this is about you. This is not about the person next to you. Just because they invited a friend and they're here for the first time doesn't mean you have to be with them the whole time. You can get some prayer. Three, come on up here, y'all. Come on. Come on up here, y'all. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you are guiding us. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you honor, Jesus.